I'm going to introduce now a couple of friends of mine, Toby and Jean Skipper. Toby is the lead... Toby leads King's Community Church Norwich, which is obviously very close to here, and is a church that has done masses to support this event over many years. So Toby's going to speak, and then I'm delighted to say that my friend Jo on the left here, she's going to interview Toby and Jean, and all this time, guys, I'd encourage you to be thinking of questions, because it's not just Joe who gets to ask some questions, but you get to ask some questions. So towards the end of the seminar, Joe will invite you to come onto these microphones here. We've got one over here, one over here, and you can ask whatever you'd like to. So we will start now at 25 to 12. We'll finish in exactly an hour from now at 25 minutes to. Guys, why don't you put your hands together and welcome Toby Skipper. Good morning. And uh, I hope you're doing all right towards the end of the week of New Day with camping and the wind and so on. Um, I'm going to tell you, say a little bit more about ourselves when we're interviewed, and I'd encourage you to be thinking, as Adrian said, about questions that you might want to ask out from what I say and out from the interview and some of our story as well. Uh, happy for absolutely anything to be asked. I'm not saying we can answer every question, but we'll do our best. When I was about 25 years old, which I'm slightly older than that now, at the grand old age of 46, I was working as a head chef in a restaurant in Norwich. And uh, I'd been a chef for about eight years. Uh, I became a chef basically because I failed my exams at school and didn't do very well. So I thought, what do I like doing at 16 years of age? What do I enjoy? I thought I enjoy food. So I thought, well, maybe I'll become a chef. And so I became a chef and 25 years old, I'm still working as a chef. I was also involved in the kind of early 90s in the rave scene that was kind of kicking off then and uh, heavily involved in that. Then at the age of 25 the most unlikely thing happened to me in my life that I never, ever thought would happen. I started to follow Jesus, and I became a Christian. Now, Jean and I will say more of our story a little bit later. But suffice to say that when I started following Jesus, my friends were shocked. You see, prior to becoming a Christian, I'd kind of evangelized them, or some of them, into the rave culture and into the drug scene. I told them how good this stuff was and you should really do it yourself. And then I started to bang on about this guy, Jesus, and about how good he is and how you should know him for yourself. And the reaction by the majority was not, oh, wow, this is amazing, Toby, let's, let's do this thing. We, we, we went with you on the drugs, let's go with you on the Jesus. It was actually, you're weird. What are you on? Why are you going into this stuff, this religion stuff, this Christianity stuff? They thought I was odd, that I'd kind of lost the plot. They thought maybe it was a phase that I was going through. And then 20-odd years later, here I am, and now lead a church. They'd say things to me like, so Toby, why are you not getting stoned with us tonight? Why are you not popping a pill? Why have you and Jean stopped sleeping together? Why are you not getting drunk? In fact, I remember being out on one of my friend's stag do's. He was getting married. And I remember being in the pub. And by this point, they knew that I was not going to get hammered like I used to. And so 
at one point in the evening, one of them comes to me with their money, a whole bunch of £10 notes. They say, here, Toby, you look after the money because you're the only one that's going to be trustworthy enough to keep the money all night and not lose it. So I served my friends in that way, but they thought I was odd. And the fact is, if you take Jesus seriously, if you take what Jesus teaches seriously, and you start to live it out in the world, people will sometimes look at you like you are from another planet, like you've got green skin and a kind of eye in the middle of your forehead. And the Bible backs this up, actually. In uh, 1 Peter, this letter that Peter wrote, one of Jesus' disciples, he says this to some Christians who were going through it. He says, you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, corrosing and detestable idolatry, they are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness. The message translation says this, you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night and drunken and debauched life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore. Maybe you've experienced that yourself in following Jesus. People look at you, they think you're weird, they criticize you, they take the mick out of you, whatever it might be. But I think this is especially true when it comes to sex. You live in a sex-saturated culture. And that's not just a 46-year-old who's looking back going, oh my goodness, you've got it a lot worse than us, there's a lot more sex around. Let me read to you the words of 15-year-old Kelly. She's from Brighton. She's uh, about to enter year 11 for her GCSEs. And she's five months pregnant with her first child. She says this, Sex is just everywhere, isn't it? You can't escape it. I mean, we all know it's what all the adverts are about. Films, TV, books, clothes, shop signs, the internet. I mean, if you reduce everything down, there's nothing that isn't about sex. Even things that are telling you not to have sex are really obsessed with sex because they're thinking about it enough to tell you not to have it. Sex is sort of sold, like a designer watch or something. Something you should have, need to have. Well, people will laugh at you if you don't have, and all that. But it's like a lot of things. Once you've got it, you're not quite sure what to do with it. So how do we handle it? How do we handle the pressure? How do we handle it when someone says to us, what, you're telling me that you've been going out with this girl or this boy for three years and you've not done it yet. And you are going to wait until you go through this kind of ceremony type thing where you walk down an island, someone in front says you're going to make some vows and things like that. You're going to wait till that moment. And you say, yeah. Well, they might look at you and say, you are nuts. Have you lost it? I mean, at the end of the day, surely it's try before you buy, isn't it? Try before you commit. How would you respond to this kind of question? No sex before marriage. What? I want to be free. Because it smacks in the face of Jesus' teaching who says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It goes against the grain of our culture that says, deny yourself nothing, avoid pain at all costs and follow your feelings as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. 
People think that God is a cosmic killjoy who wants to limit your happiness and ultimately restrict your freedom. That's certainly what I used to think about Christians and Christianity. So how do we handle this question? When someone says, why are you living that way? Why are you not joining in with the things that we are doing and giving ourselves to? Now, I just want to put a note in here that we need to define things. When people ask questions about sex and marriage, we need to spend some time defining what sex is, what marriage is. I'm not going to do that at the minute because I want to broaden this out to not just sex and marriage, but the, the kind of living that Jesus calls us to and the seeming restrictions that Jesus puts on our lives, if you like. You can ask questions about those things in the Q&A. But I want to give you three Fs that will hopefully help you to respond to this question. The first one is this. I want you to meet my little fish friend. There he is. Little fishy is swimming in the sea. Little fishy can go anywhere he wants in the sea. He has the freedom of the sea to swim in. Let me ask you a question. Is the fish free? You can shout some things out. Is the fish free? Yes, who thinks the fish is free? That's not many of you. Shout a bit loud. Who thinks the fish is free? Okay, who thinks the fish is not free? We're about 50-50 on this one. Okay. Let's say one day little fishy decides, I want to be free. I want to be free to do anything I want. And so he thinks, I'm going to jump out of the sea and I'm going to jump onto dry, dry land. What does that make little fishy? Our lunch. That's what it makes little fishy. He's dead. You see, if the fish is to have a flourishing, full and fruitful fishy life, he needs to stay within the sea. Otherwise, outside is death. So in one sense, to be restriction-less, to be boundary-less, to be limit-less, is actually more to be loss and lead to death. It's a bit like gravity. I love gravity. Who likes gravity? I love a bit of gravity. If there wasn't gravity, you'd be up there. Gravity keeps us on the ground, and it's the law of gravity, but it keeps us in place, and it allows us to function freely as human beings. If I was floating around in space, am I more or less free than I am on earth? I'm more free on earth, under the law of gravity, with that restriction, you could say. Why? Because I'm designed to live within those laws. One of my favorite writers, Ravi Zacharias, puts it this way. He says, in life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions or limitations, but is the finding of the right ones, those that fit our nature, liberate us, and bring us life. Let me read it again. In life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions or limitations, but it is the finding of the right ones, those that fit our nature, liberate us, and bring us life. And I believe the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus said, the way he says to live life, they, they are the, the things that will liberate us in life, that bring us true freedom. God is not a cosmic killjoy. In fact, it says in the book of Romans, chapter 6, that this is a message translation. It says, you know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. There are acts, things we do of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. That we actually end up becoming slaves to things that we thought might set us free. And so it goes on, Paul writes in Romans, Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, 
and it's your last free act. But offer yourself to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. So the first point is this with the fish, is freedom really only makes sense within restrictions and within boundaries and limits. The second F is this, is a fence. Imagine a big field, and in that field is a car. And that car is bust up and broken and rusty, and there's bits falling off it, and it's a mess. And it's in the middle of this field, and you look at this car, and you think that car is, is worthless. It, it, it's, it's, no one wants it. It's not important. It's valueless. Now imagine someone comes along and puts a fence around that car with a gate on the front. You might then look at that car and think, okay, now the car, maybe someone actually wants this car. Maybe someone even is going to restore this car. Maybe it's scrap metal, maybe. Maybe it's going to be sold for something. But suddenly the value of it has increased. Then you put a roof over it and you put a sign on the front saying garage. And suddenly again, the value of the car goes up because you think, ah, it's definitely worth something. Someone is paying attention to this thing even though it's broken, even though it's bust up. And the point here is that with every increase of a boundary or a limit, if you like, or a restriction, it demonstrates and increases the value of what is inside. You see, it, it, things that we don't value, we don't really take care of. Is that fair enough? Say you've got a load of money one day. Say your, your mum and dad, whatever, uh, you know, they give you a thousand pounds in cash. And you need to go and put it in the bank. And you walk into the bank and you say, look, I've got £1,000 in cash here. I just need to put it in the bank. Can, I, can you take care of it for me? And the cash person says, yeah, give me the money. Great, sign it all in and everything. Then she gets up out of her chair. She walks outside the bank and she puts that £1,000 in the middle of the street. What do you want to do to that cash teller? What would you say to her? You say, no, please, would you keep that secure? Would you keep it inside? Keep it locked up? Keep it within some boundaries? Put it in a safe? Why? Because it is valuable. Boundaries, rather than restrict freedom, they demonstrate the value, the importance, and the worth of what is inside. And so when the Bible and Jesus talks about boundaries and marriage being the boundaries around sex, he's saying this is a valuable thing. This is a precious thing. This is not something to be messed with and left lying around, as it were. It's important. Now, the question that will arise if you talk to people like this and say, yeah, it's valuable, they'll say, well, hang on a minute, but why within marriage? And, and, and the fact is, everybody, everybody I've spoken to draws fences around morality, in, and, and let's take sex, around sex. At some point, they'll say, this far and no further. They'll put some restrictions in place. They'll put some boundaries in place. The question we have to ask at that point is who gets to decide where those boundaries are placed and why? That's a great question to ask someone. When they say, yeah, I believe it's here, but not there. Often it's anything goes, apart from when it's not consensual, the age restrictions and so on, they draw their fence there. But apart from that, anything goes. And you say, well, why there? Why not where I draw mine, or why not further that way? Why not with an animal? They've got to ask these questions. We've got to be able to answer them and ask, well, why do you believe that, and why? So the point of the, f the fence is this, that boundaries, rather than restrict freedom, they demonstrate the value of what is inside, and they protect what is most precious. So we've got our little fishy, we've got our fence, and finally we have a fire. Let me ask you, is fire a good thing? 
Come on, I know you're tired. Is fire a good thing? Who thinks yes? Who thinks no? Who isn't sure? Who thinks it depends? Excellent. It depends. It depends where the fire is. I love a fire. We've got a fireplace at home, a, a log burner thing, and, and I love it. I love the winter for that, that I can get the logs out, I can put it on the fire, you can come home and it's burning. And I love the fire in its place. But if you take that fire outside of my fireplace, and let's say we think, hey, let's have it on the coffee table tonight because we're free to do whatever we want. And so we think, yeah, let's light the fire. I'm sure my kids would enjoy that. My boy Ethan would love it. You know, kind of, let's light the coffee table. My mum and dad have gone mad, but let's do it anyway. Because he understands that that actually fire in its place is a good thing. Fire in its place actually is life-giving. Fire in its place can actually be life-saving. It benefits us. And yet you take it out of that context. An out-of-control fire, as we know, is hugely damaging. Hugely damaging. You see, God isn't trying to spoil our fun when he says, look, marriage is the context for sex. He's not trying to limit our freedom. He's saying, look, this is handle with care. Because it's not try before you buy. It's not something you mess with and play with. And out of control, this thing can be really damaging. And I've got to be honest, when you start to read some of the statistics, the addictions to pornography, highly addictive, because it triggers the pleasure drug in your body, dopamine. And the more you do, you repeat it, you form neural pathways in your mind. And it becomes more and more addictive. It's wrecking lives and it's wrecking marriages as well. Because the more these men give themselves to this stuff, the less they're able to be intimate with their wives. It's dangerous stuff out of context. When you see the sex slave industry thriving in the world. It's dangerous stuff out of context. This is why boundaries are there, because it is powerful. It's powerful. And marriage is the fireplace. I mean, let me just ask a question here. Does a lifelong partner, a, a lifelong relationship with one person, a man and a woman, does that reflect what it seems people, I'm not talking just about Christians, but people who are not Christians want. Do you think that reflects culture? People actually desiring one partner for life. What do you reckon? Those who think yes? Ooh, those who think it doesn't reflect our culture? Those who are unsure? Okay. Let me... I mean, who, who dreams of the day that, that, that someone sings to you those well-known love songs? I will love you until I don't feel like it. I'm yours for a few years. You're the one, but if someone better comes along. Do you like my voice? Yeah, don't worry. 
Do you get it? You don't see love songs that say that. You're the one, but until someone better comes along. What we read in our culture actually are the longings of the human heart, like Christina Perry says, I will love you for a thousand years and a thousand more. Ed Sheeran writes in his How Would You Feel? He says, you are the one girl, and you know that it's true. That's an exclusive relationship. I'm feeling younger every time I'm alone with you. We got questions we should not ask, but how would you feel if I told you I loved you? It's just something I want to do. I'll be taking my time, spending my life, that's ongoing, falling deeper in love with you. So tell me that you love me too. This is this ongoing relationship that they're looking for, to be loved and to be loved by the one for life. I think the songs in our culture do reflect the cry of the human heart for this. You can ask more questions on that later if you want to. But sex is given for this context. So the point of this is boundaries increase our enjoyment and benefit from what's inside as well as highlighting the dangers as well. Boundaries, rather than restrict freedom, demonstrate value of what is inside and protect what is most precious. And freedom really only makes sense within restrictions, within boundaries and within limitations. Let me repeat that quote again. In life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions or limitations, but it is the finding of the right ones, those that fit our nature, that liberate us, free us, and ultimately bring us life. And didn't Jesus say, I've come to bring you life, a life that fits who you are and results in what true freedom is? I'm going to stop there, and we are going to now have time uh, to interview um, Joe Burks and Jean. Do you want to come up? Yeah, brilliant. My lovely wife. Hi, everybody. I'm Joe. Whoops. They're a bit wobbly. You're quite interactive. I came in yesterday and my first note, I was listening to Agent Andrew Wilson and I thought, put on my first question, talk quietly in case half of them are asleep. But I don't think they're asleep in your message, Toby, because it's about sex. Okay, my... <laughs> I've also made my own special little New Day cards, a bit like Graham Norton. I thought, I'll just do my own little cards this morning. And the first one was just ask about what you do now. But we know that you're a church leader. We know that Jean's your wife. So I can get rid of that one. <laughs> okay, so uh, most people here between 15, 19, age, 19 years of age... Um, tell us a little bit about what life looked like, uh, Toby, for you first, before you were 15. Uh, before I was 15, okay. Um, basically, I was a uh, happy pagan boy, if you like. Um, uh, didn't grow up in church, not surrounded by Christianity at all. I was aware of it. Um, at the age of seven, my father was killed. Um, uh, he was on a motorbike, and uh, he was killed coming out of his teaching job. So at seven years old, I then lost my dad and uh, then kind of grew up just really trying to get on with life, trying to find my way through. Um, yeah, so I didn't work very hard at school. That was not, not a good thing. Don't tell them that. No, no, but work hard, kids. <laughs> work very um, hard. I do. No, and I regret it, actually. I do look back and think, actually, I blew that one, really. Um, me and school just didn't really get on. Um, so, yeah. Okay, was... so up to about 15 
Jean, you were 15 once. A bit hard to believe, isn't it, really? I still but act like for I'm us, 15. For both of us. Yeah. <laughs> but tell us what life looked like before you were 15. Hello, New Day, by the way. Oh, well. Got a few hellos from down there. <laughs> Um, for me, very, very quickly, make it short and punchy, um, uh, my mum had me at a very early age. Um, she, had me, well, she had me at 17. Uh, my family was quite dysfunctional. Um, uh, my, my, my father was very much into drinking. Uh, and to cut a long story short, um, when I was about 18 months, two years um, old, uh, my father uh, got quite angry and he, he threw me um, across the room and my head hit a cast iron um, fireplace and I was in hospital with a fractured skull. And we had many of those kind of stories through my life. My mum remarried and history kept repeating herself. She kept being with different guys. I ended up with two brothers. But at the age of um, eight, my mum became a Christian and I noticed such a major change in her that um, I became a Christian too. And I remember when I was uh, eight years old and that um, I used to lie in my bed at night time and say things like, God, you know, I don't have a daddy. Will you be my daddy? And I can remember uh, evenings at night when I don't feel a hand over me and I can only say that was the hand of God. So that was kind of uh, the most salient points up until 15. So you guys got together. At what age were you together? Is it, I think okay. it's easy to preach it. Yeah. You know, we've been there, done that, preached it. But the practical things, you got together not as Christians. You weren't Christians. So I was going for it with God. For, with, um, God. Um, I was on fire with God, for God. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I must admit, when I got to sort of uh, 17 years old... Um, I, uh, I was questioning my faith. The questions I had when I was eight years old were very much different to the questions I had uh, when I was 17. And um, uh, I did uh, very, very slowly, as I got to um, college age, start to backslide. Toby, what would you say the challenges were for you around that age when you... Um met Jean and fell in madly in love with her. Yeah, she saw me and couldn't help herself. Um, <laughs> Understandable, I'm sure. No. We, we, were, we were really good friends. Eh? We met when we were 16 and a half at City College here. And um, I was on the chef's course. Jean was doing the sort of hotel management course. They were the brighter ones, um, but they couldn't cook. So we, we used to have a bit of... brighter one. You, you are, she is. Um, we had a bit of conflict <laughs> no there. Conflict. But we became really good friends. And Jean actually was going out with a good mate of mine. And, uh, but I wanted to, the more out of the relationship. I wanted to take things further with Jean. I wanted us to go out together and so on. And uh, so my mate was doing a, a dirty on her behind her back that she didn't know about. So being the good friend to Jean, I thought I'd better tell her about my friend. So she then finished with him. And I thought, right, I'm in the door now. And I, I kind of said, look, come on, let's, 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 let's kind of make more of this. And she said, no. And um, at that point, I'm thinking, why not? And I remember one conversation we had. I think it was at a party or something. She said, look, I'm a Christian. And I was like, what? You know, you're into this whole God thing. Well, what difference does that actually make? And now, actually, over a period of weeks and maybe even months, we started to talk. And eventually, Jean kind of gave in to the pressure. <laughs> Did he not buy you chocolates and flowers, Jean? Um, what about, how was it for you? Because I know part of this that we wanted to uh, focus on was your story about how really involving God in your relationship 
rather than trying to do it without God. Uh, the dating game, if you want to call it that, is quite difficult. Christians, non-Christians, two Christians together, challenging. How did God help you to make it work? If it did work. Are we on the long bit of the story now, Margaret? Yes. Okay. Long bit of the story. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's a bit confusing, really, um, what, if, what Toby's just explained. I was going through a, a, a season where I was hot one minute, cold the next, um, still making my mind up about things. Um, I didn't want to go out with Toby, too, because Toby was my best mate. And I thought, if I, if I start going out with him and things don't go right, then I've lost my best mate. But the long and short of, of our, our story, the, the real uh, nuggets are, are that, as Toby mentioned, we went away traveling and uh, we worked hard and partied hard for about three years. And I guess I, I started to have the, the um, thoughts of, I want to have an adventure. Um, and I, I want to try everything out there. So I, I thought traveling, that would be a great one. I'll, I'll see as much of the world as I can. And we managed to work on private yachts, so brilliant. I'll earn tons and tons of money. Oh, we'll mix with the rich and famous. Um, and, and we did, I'm going to be honest with you, we did have a good time. But the more and more I traveled, I could just hear God wooing me. And God... We, we, we were out in Barbados. It's a hard job. I had six months in Barbados of um, sunbathing because the owner of our yacht was seriously ill with cancer. And I, could just, I just felt that I had to get a Bible. So I, I went out and brought myself a Bible. And every now and then I'd have, have a, a little um, dip into it. Um, but one morning, God woke me up really early and said, Jean, go and read your Bible. And I went and sat, this boat was um, anchored out, and I went and sat on the aft deck, and I did what we don't tell people to do. I did the lucky dip, and I opened it up, and it said, remember me in the days of your youth. And I started to get the shakes. I thought, oh, God, you're really, really speaking to me. So I opened up the Bible again and did another, another lucky dip, and I thought, what are you going to say to me now, God? And... And I got, I think it was in the Psalms, I should remember this bit, but it said, just as the sun rises on the horizon. And that was exactly what was happening. And there was lots and lots of my story, and I, I've journaled my story. And actually, when I look back at it, I don't really like it, because there's some horrible, grim, sinful stuff in there that I'm so not proud of. But it really helps me as well to look back, to, to be able to relate to people and understand the pressures and, and, uh, of society. Um, also, when we came back to the UK one night, we, we, we did have a very wild party. And I just got to the end of myself. And in my thinking, everyone went out and I just thought, I need some time on my own with God. And I'd been going out with Toby for seven years. And I just felt this is it this is it. I have tasted, I've tasted the wild party scene. I've tasted traveling. I've met rich and famous people, and I know it so doesn't satisfy. And it must have been about five o'clock in the morning, and I got before my bed, and I did the old-fashioned thing. I knelt at my bed, and I was howling my eyes out, and I said, God, this time I want to come back to you. I've always been an all-or-nothing person, and this time I want to come back to you 101%. And I'm so sorry for what I've done. And, and if Toby's the guy for me, make him become a Christian. 
If not, I'm going to have to finish with him. So you, you know what's happened. But <laughs> that was a real heartfelt cry. And I was serious. I meant what I said. And I think God honoured that. Within a few weeks, Toby became a Christian. Can I just add to that? Is Please that do. Jean Please didn't do. tell me she prayed this prayer. But the same morning, we went out for a walk because what happened at this party, there were some various drugs that were not good and made people very ill. And so I came back that next morning. I remember walking in the house kind of thinking, what on earth am I doing with my life, actually? Yeah, I'm working hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying stuff, as it were, but this was not enjoyable last night. And what on earth am I doing? And that was interesting. That, that very morning was the time that I started to kind of question and started to fire questions at a friend of mine who was living as as well. He was a backstudding Christian. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, because in the booklet, this seminar was um, talking about sex. So, and the eight teenage years are basically the years when uh, we are, not we, because I'm not a teenager anymore, uh, establishing our habits, particularly sexual habits. Um, what did that look like for you two in your relationship? Okay, for, Briefly. For, for my part, it was, yeah, we were sleeping together up to that point. I mean, I, didn't, I, saw, I saw marriage as a piece of paper. That was it. Um, what's the point of it? I'm committed in this relationship. I do not need a piece of paper to prove that I am committed. Um, and then becoming a Christian in our front room, not through any church um, outside or anything like that. It was just the three of us, Gene recommitted her life, this other guy recommitted his life and me, and we started to pray together. And during that time, God, the Holy Spirit just started to convict us of stuff. And we'd be, I was reading the Bible going, have you seen this? Have you seen that? This is amazing. And we'd start going along to a church, and, which is the one on our lead, and for only church I've ever been to in my life. And during those times, people would be speaking and preaching, and I was getting convicted of things. And we both got convicted that we should stop sleeping together, and we needed to get married. So it was God convicted us through his word, by his Holy Spirit, that we thought we've got to do the right thing here. And so it we did. It was very unromantic, by the way. It was kind of That's a the marriage the bit, by the way. Um, should we get married? Yeah, all right then. <laughs> yeah, we were watching EastEnders at the time. That's how romantic I got. That's when it so. just came out. That shows how old we are. <laughs> okay, so um, let's, we're going to move on to questions in a minute. Questions, uh, and Toby and Jean will answer them. So we'll be thinking of some really good ones. Uh, what would you say to your, now, as a 40-something person, to your 15-year-old, 16-year-old self, to good advice, really? The more I'm growing in God, and it's still a journey, and it's an amazing journey, it is the life of adventure. I can tell you, living for God is much more exciting than all the things that I have done in my past. But the one thing that I would recommend to you guys is to just love Jesus. When you fall in love with Jesus, stuff falls into place. When you get totally captured by him and you meet with him, you change. And, and, and you're ruined for anything else. And that would be my, I've got two points. That would be my number one point, but that's another preach in itself. The second one is I wish I'd have listened to the headlines of what the people who loved me and respected, um, and the people who loved me and the people I respect in God said at the very beginning when, when they told me not to go and live this life. And I just thought, I'm going to go try anyway. And I was so disobedient and and ungodly and went off. I wish now 
that I'd listen to them. Toby? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because you, you, when you look back on your life, you realize that actually God is, was even at work before when I was 17. God spoke, before I was a Christian, God spoke to me about I won't go into that, but crazy stuff. So I look back and think, I can see God's hand on our lives, even saving our lives at times, times maybe where we should have been arrested or times where maybe I should have been killed when we were abroad doing very stupid things. And so in one sense, what would I say to myself? I think I'd probably say, just listen to those Christians that were around you rather than being sarcastic to them and ripping it out of them because they had something to say. I took pleasure in just being sarcastic to Christians. And God is a redeeming God, isn't he? So, I mean, your, your story tells, tells the grace of God as well. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to come and roam a little bit. Is there anything you wanted to add to that that we haven't covered I yet? don't think so, no. no. Okay, so I'm going to come down. If you have got questions, I'm going to roam, but I can only roam in this bit. If you have a question and you're right at the back, you can come to the mic here at the front, Okay. So think about things for a minute. Yeah, what should we do? Um, Just chat amongst yourselves. Think of some questions among yourselves. Talk among yourselves. Find a question until Joe gets down there. And, Someone uh, on the front row? Who's got some questions? Put your hands up if you want to yeah, ask anything. Up. Just wag a hand up. They can be as Over juicy there. as you like. Juicy. <laughs> uh, they can be. It I'm not expected to yeah. run, am I? <laughs> we might say pass, Joe. <laughs> you can say pass, only pass, not pass, please. Hi, just introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Megan. Um, just wondering, how do you go about, between a, in a couple, how do you go about putting healthy boundaries in place so you don't get to that point of you're in the moment and you're like, you don't know what to do. So how do you get those healthy boundaries between yourselves and have that conversation? In terms of somebody who is... In a relationship, but yeah. not married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, healthy boundaries. Do you want to go there? Or do you want me to? Okay. I mean, really, it might sound like an obvious answer, but read the scriptures. Read what the Bible says about how we're to treat one another. And ultimately, I think one of the best questions we can ask ourselves in any and every situation is what does love look like in this situation? What does loving this other person actually look like? Because when we answer that question, question, that's the job description of a Christian. Love God with all your heart and love other people as yourself. So love this person. So what does loving the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And that's going to mean honoring that person. It's going to mean respecting those things. It's going to mean not putting them in positions where they're going to be tempted to go beyond what the Bible says. Sometimes people ask the question of, well, how far can I go? It's the wrong question to ask. It's how do I love this person in the way that Jesus says love this person? And if you do that then actually healthy boundaries will emerge from that place. Great. Okay. Hands up. Come on. You must have loads of questions about this subject. You'll all go home and talk about them. I'm going to go this way first. (laughs) I wish I'd asked that one. Hello. Hello. I'm Andrea. Um, I was wondering about when you told about your dad. I was like, I want to ask about what happened and if you suffer about him and, you know. Okay, could you, could you repeat that, Joe? Sorry, the sound, so the it? question is about your father and how you suffered after he died. And I guess, it, did that affect you? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Hugely. Um, so, so the key thing, obviously, as a young boy, and I realised having a young son of my own who's now 11, um, how important a father's input is. And again, this is... Because life isn't 
doesn't always happen great, does it? Stuff happens. And that's where church community is wonderful because you end up with many fathers, as it were, even in single-parent families and so on. But I, di- I didn't have that. So I think just growing up, I kind of had to make my way. I didn't really have a strong sense of um, this is right, this is wrong, how you do things. I had to find my way um, in life. I was given £10,000 when I was 18 years old because my dad died as compensation. And actually, looking back, I wish someone had gone, no, no, don't have that 10 grand yet. That's stupid because I just blew it on partying. I mean, when you go to the cash point and you're surrounded by your mates and you're going for a night out and it reads £8,000, left, believe you me, you're like the drinks are on me, lads. And so I, I blew it on a car and all of that. So I wish I'd had someone in one sense to guide me. And then becoming a Christian, the two key things that I would say only in the past six years I've probably really settled is that I grew up with an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, a sense of it's all down to me, and an underdeveloped sense of affirmation. In other words, people coming alongside me saying, Toby, that's good enough. No, no, that's good enough. Because I was just driven personality in terms of perfectionism and so on. And I was like that as a chef. People would say, great meal, I'll be, no, that's rubbish, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And then you come to know God as your father, that he accepts you for who you are, warts and all, knowing the very worst about you, and you start to get free from those things. So, yes. Okay, look, we're going to have a question here from yeah, please, this yeah. mic. Do you want to speak into that mic? Um, do you think the age restriction on sex should be changed from 16 to 18? That's a good question. Again, I mean, I don't know if chip in. I'd say that it's, it's the wrong question to ask. The first question to ask is not what age can you do it, the first question to ask is what its sex is, what is it for? Because until you understand the purpose of something, you can't actually say what this thing is for and whether it's good or not. You know, I've got an iPhone somewhere. And, and, and why, how do I know it's a good iPhone? Because I know what an iPhone should do. And a good, I've got a watch here. How do I know a good watch from a bad watch? Well, a good watch tells the time because I know the purpose of the watch. Until you define what is the purpose of a human being, and if you take God out of the equation, then yeah, do what you want. The age restrictions, well... Pfft, so what? The question is, what is the purpose of a human life? Why do you exist? What is sex and what is sex for? They're the first questions to answer before we look at age restrictions and that kind of thing. Okay. okay let's take a question from over here. Somebody had their hand up. There's a, over here. Oops. Don't fall over. Hi. What's your name? Uh, my name's Alex. Okay, and uh, I wanted to ask if sex after marriage is so like delicate and precious then what if you lose your virginity through rape sorry go on can you okay. repeat that I couldn't hear so, the last bit um, because sex af- uh, within marriage is so delicate um, what would happen or how would you feel if you lost your virginity through rape wow hang on let me think about that that's quite a big question <clears throat> if sex after marriage is so precious I wouldn't say it's delicate, but it's valuable. And yet you lost your virginity through rape. So what's the question? What's in terms of how would you handle that? Yeah, what is it you, what is it you would like to know, really? What's the kind of question in there? Yes, yeah, sorry, want to make sure we ask Okay, so the question is, would you still class the, that act of sex as sin? Because as rape is sin? Yeah. Yes. Because it is violating the other person. It is not consensual. It is not give. Love, love is always given. And, and sex... 
Sex in our culture has become a consumer deal where you consume it. Like that girl said in that book, that, that you shop around for it. It's like, it's a, you, like you buy a watch. Well, yeah, you buy some you know, And you consume it in, in all sorts of ways. That's why the porn, porn industry is so huge um, in terms of its financial revenue. It's massive because people are consuming it in a selfish way. And, and rape is, is a selfish act of sex on a whole nother level and the violation of another person. And it is horrific and always utterly wrong. So um, I'm just getting a few people saying what, what they're saying is it's not sin on the part of the person who's been raped. Just clarify no, that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you make the peop- my understanding is that those that have experienced rape feel this dirtiness on the inside. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that it doesn't just expiate our guilt in terms of the things we have done wrong but actually it cleanses us of even the things that have been done to us that we can and I know that's a process and that's not that's not an easy fix I'm not saying that I'm just saying it is possible I was I wasn't raped or abused when I was a kid but when I was 17 years old I used to get on this bus coming into Norwich and this black guy used to kind of befriend me from another country from somewhere in Africa and he'd befriend me and really nice guy, I thought, you know, and I'd get to know him, and I was traveling in and so on, and, and he'd be saying, oh, yeah, my country's like this, my country's like that, and, and men in our country, yeah, we hug sometimes, and I remember sitting in a pub with him one night when I was about, I don't know, 15 years old, and he put his arm around me, and I started to unpack about my dad dying when I was seven, and I started to weep, possibly for one of the first times I think I'd cried about my dad. And he put his arms around me and embraced me and said, it's okay, it's okay to hug like this, it's okay to do this. I discovered a year or so later this guy was a paedophile. And he went after young boys. When I heard that, I wanted to kill him. I thought, if I see him in the street, I'm going to punch him. When I became a Christian, I was being prayed for by someone and as they prayed for me, I said, I've just got this odd feeling. Can we just pray about it? And, and, and they shared a prophetic word. And I thought, this is it. I haven't forgiven this guy. And I did forgive him. I said, and and what does that, he didn't ask forgiveness. How does that work? Well, look, put it this way. I stopped acting like God in his life and judging him and condemning him. And when I did that, I can now talk about him without any anger in my heart. Without, and in fact, I, all I've got now is compassion for him. Even though he abused me on an emotional level. And if you have been the victim of rape, just remember that God is a healing God. He can come and do amazing things in your life. And anything that the enemy means for harm, God has the most beautiful way of turning it around and using it for his purposes. So also I would say as well, make sure you go and chat to someone. Don't hold it in. Go and speak to someone about this subject because anything that's hidden, the enemy loves playing with. Get it out in the light and you can start to walk free. I know it's painful, but God is with you every step of the journey. Dean knows that because she faced such abuse as a kid and growing up and all sorts of things. Great. Okay, we're going to take a question from here. I'm over here. And then we'll take one from over there. Um, As a youth leader, I've become a Christian at a later time and obviously done some of the things that we're talking about how then as leaders do you speak to people who are younger than you or who are looking at that and how do you then explain to them like you guys have kind of done it here but in a more detailed way with your youth group 
to explain to them sex before marriage isn't the right thing. I wish I'd waited, but I didn't know all of these things that I know now. And they kind of look at you and say, well, you've done it. Why can't we just try it, find out? Actually, there's something a lot deeper than trying to explain it. And I really struggle with trying to explain to even my friends. I'm 32 and they're like, well, why haven't you slept with your boyfriend yet? Well, because I don't want to and because God says I shouldn't doesn't always give a good answer. And me telling them, just don't do it. Don't touch anybody. Stay on your own. It doesn't always work. How do you explain that to your youth group without just being a dictatoring person? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, some of our youth group are here. So um, I probably haven't. I mean, we've done it in preachers and so on and so forth. But I would say the key thing is what we need to do is not about what we say no to. Following Jesus is about what we say yes to. And so the bigger your yes is, the easier the no's are. When you start to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done and the life he calls you to, it is rich and it is full and it genuinely leads to true freedom because it goes back to that quote of these are the restrictions, the limitations, the things that we flourish within. And human flourishing, including in our sexuality, actually is most within Jesus. And even that, sometimes it's denying ourselves. I would say anybody who's following Jesus, whether you're married or not married, that, that, that you, are, you have to deny yourself sexually. I have to deny myself certain things because I'm married, I'm committed to Jean. We are, I love her and I don't want to be looking at other things and giving myself to other things. And if you're a youth leader here... Um, or a leader, whatever, I would say you need to do some, some reading around this. It's about the, view, the high view of sexuality in the Christian life and what, the, what it really is and give our young people this beautiful picture of what Christian sexuality actually is and what it points towards and what marriage points towards in Christ and his church, that it's bigger than just this one life right now. It's, this is so short, as Francis Chan was saying the other night. It's a blip. We're here, we're gone. There is something greater to live for. And if you are a youth leader, I would highly recommend, if you want a bit of meaty reading, read this book, Divine Sex, A Compelling Vision for Christian Relationships in a Hypersexualized Age by Jonathan Grant. It's meaty stuff, but I really recommend you read this book. It is outstanding and will really help you as you communicate to those around you. Divine Sex, brilliant book. Okay, I've got a couple of questions over here. I'd like to take your question, please. Yeah, um... What would you say to someone that said, yeah, okay, it makes sense to use the criteria of marriage in biblical times when sex outside of marriage wasn't as big a problem because people got married really young? But now the negatives of that, such as people jumping into marriages too soon or thinking that any sex within marriage is consensual and good, um, outweigh the positives, and instead we should use a criteria such as like having deep, compassionate love instead of this label of marriage. So, so just to clarify, are you asking then, the, 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 essentially, look, we've got the biblical view of marriage, which is 2,000 years old and older than that in the Old Testament. And so we're in 21st century now. Why should those things that were put in constraints then be for now? Yeah, kind of. Just what would you say if someone was like, um, yeah, that doesn't make sense now because of these negative things that can come out of that. This way is better to say it's just love rather than marriage. Okay. Okay, within, um, actually, a, a, a politician in Norwich talked about this with, about when it comes to um, same sex marriage and so on. I said, well, why not polygamy then? She said, oh, well, in polygamy, you get, um, you know, it's bad for people, polygamy is. I say, hang on a minute. And I can probably show you heterosexual marriages that are bad for people, but it doesn't mean we stop that. And so you can't ban polygamy on that basis because some might be good and some might be bad. So again, it's where do you draw the boundaries? And I would say, well, let's look at, look at the evidence. Let's look out there and, and, and look at um, 
what do I say to some of this? I'd say, I think the things the Bible teaches are not, they're not limited to a one culture or one time. These are timeless truths that are applied within various cultures. And this is why Christianity has taken root in so many nations because it is genuinely universal and, and above culture, if you like. And so actually, I would say to someone, look, let's look at what it says and let's talk about this and that for the thriving of family and children um, and in society and these kinds of things. And let's look at the damage. One question to ask people is this, is let's just say that every single person on the planet lived within what Jesus says in terms of marriage, man and woman, or um, singleness, no sex. Let's say everybody lived within that. Now, I know people say, oh, that's so restrictive, and, but what about same-sex? Okay, let's just say everyone lived within that boundary. What would there not be in this world? What would there not be? If everybody lived that, Jesus said, don't look lustfully at another woman. There was this genuine, we were able to live perfectly in that way. What would there not be in the world? Rape? Child sex slave? Pornography industry? Sorry? Huh? Sorry? Adultery. Yeah. I mean, we could go on. Divorce. We could go on and on. These, there's, there's loads of things that wouldn't happen if people actually lived this way. And let's ask, well, which world would we rather live in? I know which one I'd rather live in. So that's how I'd approach it. Okay, we've got a question here. Um, we're okay. We've got a couple of minutes left. If, um, would you like to ask yours? What's your name? Faith. Um, we were saying, like, if you're in a relationship with someone, like, obviously you want to show them physical love and affection, like, just because you love them. So, um, physically, like, how far would you say is too far? Like, is it just the official act of sex, or is other stuff not okay to do? Like I said earlier, I think it's the wrong question to be asking. I'll refer you back to that one I answered there. The question you have to ask with someone is not how far can I go. But if we reduce sex down to penetration, okay, that, that's it. Oh, great, I can go up to that point. We've missed what it is. When, when even you kiss someone, you stimulate your lip, you're stimulating stuff in your, your body and, and, and dopamine is rising up and so on. The more physical intimacy that you have with another, the more emotional intimacy you have with a person will lead to more physical intimacy that you have. That. It's, we're designed like that, the emotion to lead on to the physical. And so it's not how far can I go, because it's like, it's like how, how near can I go to a fire without getting seriously burned? It's like, just stay away from it. Or how close can I get to a cliff edge without falling off? Well, just, just stay right back. And so when it comes to those things, it's, it's not how far can I go. Sex is much more than just the kind of, I know it can be defined as the penetration deal, but actually it's the wrong thing to ask. Again, how do I love this person? Men among you, boys among you, you should be asking, how do I treat this person like a sister in Christ? How do I treat this girl like that? And if that means you don't actually even meet on your own, until you're married even, you meet with friends and things, well, so great. But I'll tell you, you will not regret it. You will not regret it, doing it God's way. And like we said before, where we've messed... God is so redemptive, you know, as well. But, yeah. Does that help? Okay. Uh, we're going to take one more question, um, which is over here. Uh, what's your name? Serena. Okay, Serena. Um, my question was, um, 
the way you talk about marriage to everyone here is it it's like marriage is is a paradise and everything's going to be well everything's going to be good we have to keep ourselves to this marriage but marriage isn't like that sometimes it can be so bad so then why do we have to keep ourselves to a marriage that potentially may end up being bad that's a really really great question and a really important one actually Jean, do you want to say something on that because obviously growing up in yeah, I, I've, I've experienced uh, bad marriages um, as a child. But a marriage is like anything, any relationship. If you're both loving God first and you're both working at the relationship together with God first, it takes a lot. There's a lot to work, work through. Whatever the amount of, I mean, the more work you put into the relationship, the better it is. You never stop working at it. We have had times in our marriage when it's been hard. And, and we've had times in our marriage when it's been brilliant. Um, I've had friends before when we were com- becoming Christians or after we became Christians who've said to me, aren't you ever tempted? And I can say, I'm so not because <laughs> why have... Why have cotton when you've got silk? God's plans for us are so much better. I'm probably not answering the question as well as Toby here, so you fill in some blanks. The cotton and silk bit that got me. Um, it's not paradise. We're, you know, this is a working out of two people who are coming together as one flesh with their own desires and passions and characters and personalities and all the rest of it. And believe you me, I don't know how Jean stuck with me in some way, but the fact is actually what we're both committed to is that we will love each other, that we're not going to depend on how we feel because love is not primarily a feeling. So if I feel in and out of love, no, 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 I've willed to love this person for the rest of my life. And I'm going to do that through the thick and thin and the good and bad, through the tough times where I've been a complete idiot and said things that I've regretted, where we have argued and where I've shouted, you know, all the rest of it, where I have. And yet, somehow, what God does in that furnace is he makes you more Christ-like, both as an individual but also together to reflect something of the love of Christ as well. It's not paradise. It doesn't mean it's easy. And can I say one thing, because I'm not sure. Underneath every question is another question. Um, Sometimes people might be asking, well, if someone is in an abusive relationship, should they stay in it? No. I would say that at that moment, if there is genuine physical abuse, hear me out, if there's genuine physical abuse, there might need to be a separation for a season where they're not living with that person to try and work through things. And if it's unresolvable and so on. But I would say it's not as simple as just kind of, yes, get divorced. We live in a very quick divorce culture. And rather than, no, we're going to work this out, we're going to work this together, particularly if you're Christ followers. You want to say, God, somehow in the middle of this furnace deal, how do we walk through this? But sometimes it might mean, it might mean separation if there's adultery or other things that have gone on. But that's, that's a hugely complex thing. And in two seconds at the end of a Q&A time like this, really is hard to answer. So afterwards, we'll, we'll hang around. And if you want to come and ask more, then feel free to. Okay? Thank you. Okay, lots of good questions there. Thank you, everybody. Um, I know you've just said that um, lots, loads of questions. I'm sure you've got lots of things going through your heads. Um, tomorrow's seminar is... Um, about Islam, lady called Beth Grove. So come with your questions and your listening ears Saturday tomorrow so you can have a good night's sleep Friday night. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Well done.